In this episode, I have my new friend Mike Meharry on as a guest, and he shares with us some of his background and what they're doing over at the Tenth Amendment Center. Pretty, pretty interesting, and it's worthy of your investigation. I had fun, and hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. All right, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host James Nethery, and I'm always excited when we have cool guests, and that means I'm always excited because that's the only kind of guest that we have or cool guest. And today we have with us Mike Meharry with uh, the Tenth Amendment Center, and a little bit of background um, from my perspective. It was early on in about 2009 or 10, somewhere along in there that uh, I was invited to an event in Austin, Texas, and it w- had to do with uh, free markets, private property, sound money, and a, a lot of different ideologies in the libertarian movement and the free market, uh, private property kind of movement coming together. And it was a big expo. There were people selling books and different things and then speakers, and I spoke there. Um and, and, and really, I got to tell you this, I think they oversold the booth. We had a booth there as well, and we were selling books and DVDs, and I think they overbooked the space, and so we showed up, and we didn't have a space, Mike. And so Jason Rink had a great big corner uh, booth right at the front door, and he was gracious enough to... You know, they, they arranged for us to share his space and he agreed to it. That's how I met Jason Rink. And I know uh, Jason Rink had just finished the uh, the documentary Nullified Now. And uh, and then he introduced me to Mike and, and uh, I mean, he introduced me to uh, Michael Bolden. And and it was I've been supportive ever since. I've been uh, a promoter of the Tenth Amendment Center, and uh, so that's my background. We've never met, but you've graciously agreed to share with us, and so thank you, Mike Meharry. Tell us uh, who you are, what you do, why the Tenth Amendment uh, Center matters, and you know, just share with us, educate us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, first off. And uh, I, I feel like the bar is high because now I have to be cool. I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I fit into cool, but I'm going to do my best to, to be as cool as possible. But it's, it's interesting because uh, you and I actually became acquainted with the 10th Amendment Center around the same time. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I started working with the organization in, in about 2009, 2010. Uh, so around about that same time period. And interestingly, Jason Rank is one of the first people I met outside of Michael Bolden that's kind of in this liberty movement. So, you know, kind of a, a small world kind of thing. And um, so I got involved really, uh, it was kind of a, a result of the Tea Party movement, um, you know, in, in the election of Obama. And I, I was pretty much your, your standard, uh, you know, conservative Republican uh, at that point in my life. And, and I was looking to get involved. I had graduated. I'd gone back to school. I'd graduated and uh, I have a degree in journalism. Just wanted to use that. You know, I, I had gone to a couple of Tea Party rallies and I thought, well, this is kind of cool, but kind of pointless. You know, I'm standing here holding a sign. That's not really going to change anything. <laughs> and so I started looking for a place to get involved in and found the 10th Amendment Center. And it resonated with me in that I have always believed that the best government is a limited government. Now, what I didn't understand at that point is that the Republicans weren't nearly as limited government as they like to pretend like they are. Uh, so uh, th- I went through quite an evolution in my 
political thinking over the last 10 years. But the 10th Amendment Center was a big part of that. So people might be asking at this point, well, what the heck is this 10th Amendment Center? Uh, it's an organization that was founded actually back in 2006. So uh, Bolden goes back a little bit before you and I. Michael Bolden is the founder and executive director. And really, we do two things. One of the main things that we do is education. We talk about the Constitution. We teach the Constitution. We talk about originalism. What did the Constitution mean when it was ratified. Because if you go back to that point, that is what it's supposed to mean today. That's basics of contract law. Uh, you know, when you agree to a contract, the two parties agreeing to it, that's kind of the 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 meaning and the force that that contract has. So we talk about the Constitution, and, and it becomes very apparent very quickly that the vision that the founders had is quite different from what we have today in terms of our system of government. I think James Madison probably summed up the uh, intent of the constitutional system in Federalist 45 when he said the powers delegated to the federal government by this constitution are few and defined. And those which remain with the states and the people are numerous and indefinite. Now, obviously, today we have the exact opposite. We have a federal government that is exercising numerous and indefinite powers and, and the states and the people are we've seen to have been relegated to few and defined. But that's not what was intended. <laughs> and, and Madison went on and he explained that uh, the intent of the federal government, it was supposed to be dealing with things like war, peace, foreign trade. And he said all of the things that had to do with the internal improvements and prosperity of the states and the people that was supposed to be left at the state and local level. So really the system that was proposed that was intended was a decentralized system where power was dispersed throughout various uh, departments of government with the federal government having very little. And that's really fundamentally why I'm involved in this work. I believe that centralized power is the biggest threat to our liberty. When you start concentrating power in the hands of a few, uh, it becomes very, very dangerous very, very quickly. And, and that's where we are today, to the point that you know every four years we have this uh, dog and pony show where we have the most important election of our lifetime uh, in, in order to change out whoever happens to be the president. And, and then, of course, half the people aren't happy. But really, the trajectory of government goes on the same. We still have the same unconstitutional wars. We have the same unconstitutional spending. Uh, you know, we have the same unconstitutional spying. The Federal Reserve keeps printing money. All of these things continue no matter who is in charge in Washington, D.C. So there has to be a different way to address this problem. We have this constitutional system. The question then becomes, how do we as the people maintain the federal government within the powers that were prescribed to it? And that gets to the second part of the 10th Amendment Center's work, and that's activism. There's this thing called nullification that we can use in order to use state and local power, use that decentralized power to undermine unconstitutional actions that the federal government tries to take on. Uh, James Madison gave us this blueprint in Federalist 46. Interestingly, it was right after Federalist 45. So he explained what the federal government was supposed to look like. And then people were asking the question, well, what do you do when the federal government starts doing stuff outside of its bounds? And Madison said, the means of opposition are powerful and at hand. And he listed off several things that state and, and local governments can do. 
And the most important one was a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. Madison actually wrote that directly. He said, when there's an unwarranted exercise of power or even a warranted exercise of power that just happens to be unpopular, the states can refuse to cooperate with this enforcement. If one state does it, he said it would impede the federal government's action. And he said, were a number of states to take action together against it, it would create obstacles which the federal government would hardly be willing to encounter. So this is the blueprint that we used at the 10th Amendment Center. We try to find ways that we can undermine federal power by simply not cooperating with the implementation of a federal program or the enforcement of a federal law. And people will hear me say this and they go, oh, that's crazy. You can't do that. We have the <laughs> supremacy clause and the federal government's all powerful. No, absolutely not. The federal government depends on the states to do virtually everything that it does. And the example that I like to use, if you've ever seen on TV, like where there's a, a, a marijuana raid and you'll have one guy in, an, in a DEA jacket and then you have 47 local sheriffs and police officers. Now, I don't think that one DEA agent is going to be nearly as effective if he doesn't have the 47, you know, state and local cops helping him out. Federal yeah. government always depends on that. But so, the federal government sits there and, and gives all the all of these state and local stormtroopers, you know, this uh, military equipment. Yes. I mean, you, you can go. I live in a little town 20 miles south of Fort Worth, Texas, and mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by little towns and. You know, I guess pre-COVID, we went to some kind of a function a couple of towns over. And in the middle of the square of this town, they mm -hmm. have this big old armored armored personnel car carrier, you know, that's, that's all painted with the local police uh, insignia. Yep. And, and, and all of these guys are standing around it, and they're very tall, and, and, it, and it was so... Uh, meant, I guess, to to promote patriotism, right? But and and they're right out in the middle of the square, and I'm just walking by, and I casually ask one of the guys, I'm like, um, man, how how often do you gotta you know tear down a house with this piece of machinery? <laughs> and he looked at me like I'm crazy, and it was an ignorant question, but. So my point being is, yeah, there might be one or two, you know, DA agents and 47 locals, but the 47 locals are armed to the teeth. Yep. They're not peacekeepers anymore. They're yep. law enforcement and they have all of this gear that, you know, we didn't give away to the to the Taliban and whomever else that right. we're trying to you know, enslaved anyway. Right. Well, no, and you're absolutely right. And that and that brings us to the important point of what we're doing at the state level. The strategy is to take this idea of non-cooperation and codify it into law. So let's take it. Let's just use the, the best example that we have ongoing is the legalization of marijuana that we've seen. Now we have, I think, 18 states that have completely legalized for adult use. We have 36 states, I believe, that have legalized medical marijuana. Now, the federal government will tell you that marijuana is absolutely illegal. It's federally prohibited. And yet we have all of these states that are defying the feds. And the federal government has basically at this point given up enforcing marijuana laws because they can't do it because those, those cops with all of their toys are not able to enforce those laws in those states because the state has basically stripped away uh, much of the, their power to do so. So we want to take that blueprint and use that for a variety of issues. So, for instance, in the state of Missouri this past year, and, and also in Arizona, two slightly different bills, but they do basically the same thing. They prohibit state and local enforcement of certain 
federal gun control. Now, when these bills were working their way through, you will not be surprised to learn that police lobbies were absolutely opposed to them. They were more worried about their federal partnerships than they were in actually preserving and applying the Second Amendment. But we were able to overcome that that lobby effort. And so now we have these two states where, in effect, the state and local police will not be cooperating with the enforcement of federal gun control. And it didn't stop it completely. Of course, the ATF can still do their thing. But the more states that pile on, just like we've seen with marijuana, the more states that refuse to cooperate, the more difficult it becomes for the federal government. And it puts pressure. And, you know, ultimately... Hopefully, you'll get change at the federal level. Great example of this uh, was uh, if you've ever heard of the uh, right to try law. It actually started in Arizona. It was uh, uh, spearheaded by the Goldwater Institute. Basically, it's just a simple state law that kind of bypasses the FDA and allows people who have terminal illnesses to access experimental treatments without going through all of the hoops that the DEA make or the FDA makes you jump through. And uh, this started in Arizona. It gradually grew. Eventually, there was like 44 or 45 states that had passed these laws. So all of a sudden, Congress said, you know what? We better pass a national right to try. Of course, at this point, it didn't matter, but they did it and Trump signed it and he made a big deal out of it. Like, oh, we're doing this great thing. It was the states that led the way. So we really like this bottom up approach of activism, which is kind of the opposite of what you get typically with, you know, your average political thinking. We think we've got to uh, reelect congressmen or reelect a president, you know, get a new president, sue in federal court. We look at all of these D.C. oriented solutions. They very rarely work. So we're going at it kind of from the bottom up, change at the local level, change at the state level and let that percolate up and then bring about the change at the D.C. level. It's a slow thing. You know, uh, Thomas Jefferson said that the uh, the the path to liberty is won by inches. And so we are taking this as a very strategic inch by inch, step by step approach. And if you go back through history, that's exactly exactly what those that have expanded federal power have done. They've done it a little bit of time. Uh, unfortunately, we can't grab it all back, but we're doing the best we can every single day. We had this past year, um, I haven't done a complete count, but well over 50 bills that were passed in state legislatures this past legislative session that pushed back against federal power in some way. So we are seeing some progress. And that, that's the thing that, that keeps me going, that makes me optimistic. It's a place where I can actually look and say, oh my gosh, this actually, you know, we've actually taken steps forward instead of, you know, looking at an election going, uh, another election or, or another Supreme Court case or, or whatever the case may be. So is there, um, are y'all, you know, do you have a role in educating the state legislators? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, every time I have an opportunity to talk to one, you know, their handlers grimace at me because they know I'm going <laughs> to ask a real question. Yep. Um, and then, you know, and I don't want to disparage them, but hell, they don't even, I, I, I question whether they've ever read the constitution yeah. personally. I mean, have they, have they ever read the 10th amendment? You know, I mean, they say they do, but, um, or they say that they have, but then you look at their actions or, and wonder really. So, um, to shorten up my question, are y'all active in teaching or educating or being a resource to yeah. and for the state legislatures? Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, there are good state legislators. So sure. 
the first step is to identify those folks because they're the ones that can carry legislation. Well, that shouldn't take very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in some states, it doesn't take very long at all. Um, but but that's that's kind of the first step. And then by by getting these bills introduced, even when they don't pass, this gives us the opportunity to actually um, begin to do this education process. So I quite often will testify in committee hearings, uh, you know, oftentimes by Zoom, sometimes in person, sometimes just written testimony. But this is an opportunity to talk about these principles that that we're talking about and the legal structure around it because uh, the important thing for people to understand is this idea of non-cooperation is actually codified in Supreme Court law. Um, I, I don't normally care much about what the Supreme Court says because a lot of it's a bunch of garbage, quite frankly. But in this case, they've gotten it right. And there's this doctrine called the anti-commandeering doctrine. And in a nutshell, the Supreme Court has held consistently since 1842 that the federal government cannot force state or local governments to uh, implement federal programs or enforce federal laws. In other words, state and local resources belong to the state and the federal government can't tell them how to use those resources. So we have this powerful strategy. We have to do a lot of educating. You know, you would think that people that are in legislative positions would know this. Most of them don't. So uh, another opportunity that we had, you know, again, you make friends. Uh, we were in, I was invited this uh, past year before the Tennessee legislature convened to actually go in person and speak to the entire Republican caucus, explaining this idea of anti-commandeering and, and what the powers of the state actually are. So, yeah, this is an important part of the work is actually interacting, uh, you know, one on one or in group situations and, and talking to these folks and educating them and and. Um, it's 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 kind of interesting because our policy issues kind of span the political spectrum. So, you know, we might be talking about uh, the right to keep and bear arms on one hand, which tends to be something that is more attractive to Republicans and more of a kind of a, a quote, right wing type of issue. And then uh, we might also be talking about surveillance, which is something or, you know, police reforms, which is something that Democrats can get on board with. So we actually have good working relationships on both sides of the aisle with certain people. And, and again, it allows us to, to teach and expand uh, their knowledge on what their powers are. And it's interesting, you know, a lot of people that you might even think, well, these are lefties. They even resent federal power sometimes. So uh, it, it's, it's really interesting, interesting work from a policy standpoint, for sure. Do you see progress since you've been at the TAC? Absolutely. So you feel good yeah, about the... Absolutely. I can, I can tell you the, 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 the progress in, in, in pretty vivid terms. When I first started... We would get very excited when a legislator would introduce a 10th Amendment resolution and, and that would get passed. Now, this didn't do anything. All it did was affirm that the 10th Amendment was a thing. You know, I mean, you should you would think you shouldn't even have to do that. When I first started back in 2010, 2009, that was a big deal to see that happen. Over the last three or four years, we have seen upwards of five to 600 bills introduced, again, that push back against federal power in some way. All kinds of issues. I mean, we're talking everything from, you know, firearms to health care to uh, sound money to surveillance, all of these different issues. So, yeah. And, and we've, of course, we've gotten better at what we're doing. You know, we've we've learned how to craft our message in such a way as it is more palatable and we've 
been able to eliminate, you know, back in early days, you used to talk about nullification. And the first thing you would get is, oh, you must be a racist. You oh, know? my gosh. <laughs> or, or you're for slavery. Uh, you know, and, and these absurd arguments. There was actually back in, I don't remember what year it was, um, somewhere in the probably 2015, 2016, somewhere in that ballpark. It was before Trump. Uh, Rachel Maddow did an entire segment on the 10th Amendment Center. It was called Confederates in the Attic. Uh, in the attic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she had uh, John C. Calhoun, you know, and they always used the picture of John C. Calhoun when he had tuberculosis and his hair was all crazy, you know. And and so the whole implication was this is a bunch of racists. Um, and, and so we've been able, by talking about the anti-commandeering doctrine, by talking about things like the fact that the uh, the Northern abolitionists used this very strategy to undermine the fugitive slave laws. Uh, we, we've been able to kind of get past some of those dumb arguments. And now most of the arguments tend to focus more on, you know, the actual policies at hand, which is, which is much easier to deal with. And we spend a lot of our times now fighting with cops, <laughs> you know, as you, as you mentioned, are, are very attached to the uh, federal funding and, and toys that come along with their federal partnerships. So that, that tends to be some of the, the big opposition that we face today yeah the asset forfeiture like yes. probably pays very well yes it you does know, and, and it's uh <clears throat> you know i mean racism or racist being accused of uh of racism i mean that's almost like a trigger word today yeah. and uh you know i'm from the south i'm 58 years old and and you hear this talk about white supremacy and going through the the military and hunting these quote-unquote people down right I'm like, who are these people? I've never yeah. met one in my life. You know, yeah. um, not that that racism and all that doesn't exist, but I mean, it's almost just uh, the 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 value of the words being stripped. Oh, absolutely. I, I actually have a very uh, very intimate. Um, association with this particular issue because my wife is black uh, so you know wow, so I, how does that you know if you right. get called a racist how does that work well you know you they know? don't know they're just seeing right. some guy that's writing something so yeah the, the irony is rather amusing um but but i'm like you i mean you know certainly i've i've seen uh racism in action but it's not nearly you know there's not there's not uh, kkk members or sitting around in every corner i've i've we spent most of our life in Kentucky. Uh, we live in in Northeast Florida now, which is basically Georgia. And oh, I thought it was really... New York. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's farther south. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Florida is the only state where you go north to get south. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm about. I'm only about 20 miles from the Georgia uh, Florida state line, so it's it's very very much a Georgia. In fact, you'll see more Georgia bulldog stickers here than you will see like Florida Gators. So it's I got kind of weird. Well, how far are you but, from yeah. uh, the uh, Jekyll Island, Georgia? Uh, we're about 40 minutes from Jekyll Island. There you go. Yep. So yeah, and and you know all that to say that. Uh, I'm not, I, I can tell you from experience that racism is certainly an issue, but um, it's, it is like you said, it has become a, a trigger word. It has, be, it has become a way to basically try to end an argument or end a conversation before it even begins. So we don't have to talk about the actual, you know, importance of decentralization or the overreach of federal power because you're a racist and you don't count. 
it, it's just a cheap tactic and, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty sad. But again, uh, I, I see much less of that today than what I saw five or 10 years ago. Uh, I think the, uh, at least in our work, you know, it's, it's certainly out, out in other areas, but, right, right. Um, well, with you know, the legal, with the legal system being what it is and really focusing on that anti-commandeering doctrine, uh, it, it really takes that away. So I love that. I mean, it, in the 10th amendment, you know, in, in, uh, it's the powers that are not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. I mean, how and then and then when you you know, you're you're uh, you're uh, referencing the uh, 40, the Federalist 46. I mean, how that's plain English. I mean, how clear can that be? And I, I get the general welfare clause has been, you know, abused like right. every other part of the constitution has been abused and then the states you know they're giving up and their their uh their rights their power their heritage you know their control um and that's really my concern that i believe in education there's no question and i believe in activism um because if you don't make something happen who will if you don't cause right. change it may not ever happen um but i'm concerned that in in and I'm I'm just concerned about the level of knowledge at the state level and at the city, the parish, the county level, right? Um, and and you hear lately, it seems like it's coming back around the, the convention of states, right. you know, and, and it's like, oh my gosh, they don't even know the Constitution. Bad things can really happen when uneducated mm -hmm. people coagulate. Yeah, that's a that's a fact, and and so uh, to that point, if, if you can probably see over my my shoulder here. There's my book, Constitution Owners Manual. If you want to educate yourself about these things, like the General Welfare Clause, the Necessary and Proper Clause, the Supremacy Clause, what do those mean? I've written a book about it, so you can no, get I didn't that. Know that. Yeah, go to constitutionownersmanual.com uh, and you'll find all of the various buying ops. You can find it on Amazon as well. But uh, yeah, so this is extremely important. People don't know. And of course, we have government schools. The government schools don't want to teach you that, that <laughs> most of the things that the government's doing are, are, are improper. So yeah, we have a huge education problem in the United States. And I, I think the other problem that I find really frustrating is the partisanship problem. Uh, you know, there's so many people that think that, well, you know, if, if we just get Trump back, everything will be fine. Well, Ugh. you know, constitutionally, things weren't great with Trump or by the same token, you know, everybody thought, oh, if we can just get rid of, of Trump, then we'll, we'll, everything will be fine. Well, well Biden's not any better. I mean, Biden's going to spend what, $3.5 trillion in the next budget. I mean, that's, that's absurd. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, I always say this, trying to fix the problems in America by going to Washington, D.C. is like trying to fix a broken down car by changing out the driver. You know, you have a car, it's up on blocks and there's, you know, battery in it and all the, you know, the uh, belts are all broken and there's no tire. I might have said that. No wheels, you know. And then you go, you put a new driver and you think, oh, the car's fixed. And that car still ain't going nowhere. <laughs> you know? um, and, and so, again, that's why we really have focused more on the state and local level. Now, now, as you've kind of alluded to, state and local politicians are pretty awful, too. Um, but we have much more control 
as individuals, as I hate the term citizen because it sounds Russian, but as, as you're global, yeah, as, as residents of a state or a locality, we have much more control over our state representative or over a city council member than we do over a member of Congress. And I, I tell this story often. I, I once was talking to a state representative in Kentucky. This was a number of years ago, but he flat out told me that he would often go through an entire legislative session and never get any kind of communication from a constituent regarding a specific bill. Wow. He said it was very unusual. So if you have a bill that is moving through a state legislature and you get 20, 30, 40 people to make a phone call to a committee chairman, that has huge impact on them. And I've seen it happen. I have seen bills that have been stalled in committee all of a sudden get moved when you get, you know, again, 40 or 50 phone calls because it's just a, it's just, it's a smaller thing that you're trying to deal with. Uh, so, I find that doing activism at the state and local level is much more satisfying because every once in a while, these people will actually listen to me. <laughs> Whereas if that. you've ever called your Congress, have you ever called your congressman before or, you know, sent a letter uh, to Congress? Yeah. You know, I've had for local issues, I've talked to my state reps right, and, right. and they get resolved too. You know, if yeah, you've got a problem exactly. at the county or the city, you call the state rep. I mean, they, they like, they jump. Yeah. Um, so you call Congress. What do you get? You get an intern, right? Who who will will if if it's something they agree with, they'll uh, they'll they'll nod and grin. And if it's something <laughs> they disagree with, then they'll just blow you off. And then like three weeks later, you get the email. Thank you so much for con- contacting Representative So and So's office. We're so glad that you're you know has nothing to do with anything that you said. You know you know that it, that it has absolutely no no real bearing on anything. You so, know you talk about top down or bottom up. You know nothing good ever can from the top down everything great has come from the bottom up and and, you know you mentioned like cannabis or medical marijuana um which you know god bless people in their private decisions and what they do you know god bless you Mm. i understand though uh, and i like it i think i like it if my understanding is correct in colorado for example where uh medical marijuana is legal and uh recreational use of Cannabis is legal, but it was a county by county decision. So some counties, it's, you know, medical only. Other counties, it's medical and uh, Mm -hmm. recreational. I love that. That's about as local as you can be. And that's absolutely. I'm a big fan. I say, you know, we focus at the 10th Amendment Center on decentralizing from the federal government back to the states because that's the biggest problem that we have right now. I would ultimately love to see everything decentralized back to the individual. You know, I, I don't, I don't really need my city council member telling me what type of uh, plant I can have. Uh, but you know, that's that's a whole different <laughs> philosophical issue. But right. from a practical standpoint. Well, let's start with where we have the biggest concentration of power, and that's in Washington, D.C. If we can devolve that back to the states, then we've got at least got, you know, 50 uh areas of power. And then from there, we can devolve back to, uh, you know, to local and county. And, and uh, you know, ultimately, I, I would love to see things as, as individual as possible. I'm not obviously a big fan of government, but, um, you know, it, it's it's certainly more dangerous when it is centralized at the top. And, that, you know, it's interesting. We, we've been reworking some of this stuff. We're going to do an update on our website soon. So we've been kind of rewriting some of the sections and going back and looking at some of the things that the founders talked about. And during the ratification debates, that was the 
That was one of the biggest issues that the anti-federalists, those who oppose the Constitution, people like Patrick Henry, one of their biggest uh, one of their biggest fears was what they called consolidation. This idea that power would be centralized in one place. And Thomas Jefferson actually said this was, of course, back when the United States was very small. He said this country is too big to be ruled over by one group of people in a faraway place. <laughs> and, and again, you know, that was before the United States was nearly as big. Jefferson recognized the fact that you just can't have effective. It, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, you know, you're in Texas, I'm in Florida. Texas and Florida probably have have some similarities, but we're certainly have we have different cultures. We have different uh, groups of people. Massachusetts is way different. California, uh, God knows what they're doing over there. So why would you think that you could have, you know, a few people in Washington, D.C., making good policy decisions for 350 million people it doesn't make sense. It's just a matter of scale. So can't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It exactly. Happen. We end up we end up with awful one size fits all with, uh, you know, uh, they give us the the, uh, the 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 cute names like the Affordable Care Act. You know, the Affordable Care Act priced me out of insurance. So. Yeah, there's no question. That's a very fundamental. If you look at the name of any bill and there's always somebody from both sides of the aisle, one from each side coming together, putting their name on there. Yeah. Whatever the title is. The result is going to be 180 degrees. No <laughs> exactly. question. I mean, exactly. Period. Uh, yeah. So, of course, the yep. uh, Affordable Health Care Act prices us all out of health insurance. No exactly. question. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, that's, uh, you know, health, education, and welfare. If you just exited Big Brother from that, we would all be uh, much better off. And then you mentioned the Federal Reserve earlier and the uh, printing of money. I mean, what could go wrong with that? Well, we're seeing what's going wrong. If you've been to the grocery store lately, I mean, um, you know, as, as much as Jerome Powell keeps running around and telling us this inflation is transitory, yeah, uh, yeah you know, we, we all know good and well that it isn't. I mean, and I can give you the anecdotal evidence. Uh, my my mom and I, uh, we about every every few weeks we get Chinese food from this one particular restaurant. We always order the exact same thing. The other day I went and, and uh, it was three dollars more. And I didn't get any darn fortune cookies. So they raised the price and took my fortune cookies away. You know? But that's, that is the reality of inflation. We're all paying more because the Federal Reserve is printing money. And the more money that you've got out there chasing the same amount of goods, well, then that raises prices. And you know, it's great for uh, you know, people in the stock market or bankers, but not so great for you and I who are just, uh, who are just out there trying to you know, save a little money and, and uh you know, spend our paycheck on, on go the things we need. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe live in, into retirement with an income that exactly. Know, yeah. Yeah. No question about that. So I don't really know how long we're going, but um, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. I think we're about 30, 35 minutes into it. Um, is there anything that, you know, you want to, you want to wrap up with or point us you know, like I said kind of earlier, I want to know, I mean, I want listeners to know, any whoever listens, um, I want them to know who you are, right? who the Tenth Amendment Center right. is, why it matters, and then, um, you know, what they can do. They can go and learn. They can right. learn a lot of things that are not taught in the public, in the governmental schools. You know, there's no question about that. And then maybe, you know, we, sh we have a lot of... Uh, uh, altruistic listeners that that they understand the idea of liberty and freedom and private property and private rights um 
and and they're inclined to you know support the things that they like and agree with. So maybe you can share with us as well on how they may become involved. Yeah, well, if I could leave folks with just one thing, if 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 there's one thing that I would love people to remember and maybe change their orientation a little bit, is stop focusing all of your political efforts on Washington D.C. You know, the the typical strategies that we have are vote the bums out, petition Congress, or sue in federal court. So we vote the bums out. We end up with a new set of bums. We sue in federal court. The federal court almost always sides with government power because obviously it's part of the government. You know, it's like if it's like if you and I are in a debate and I say, well, let's let my mother be the judge. My mother's a wonderful woman. She's very impartial. But. I don't think that would go well for you. You know, that's what we're doing when we're running to the federal courts or, you know, we petition Congress. We've already talked about what happens when we call our congressmen. So I would love for people to just consider spending a little bit of time, find out who your state senator is, who your state representative is, and find out what issues are going on in your state legislature. And don't focus all of your attention on DC. I'm not saying ignore DC completely, although that's fine with me, but, um, but, but take that time, find out who your city council member is, find out what's going on in your own community and, and focus some of your political energy on those local things. That's really, if, if I could leave people with that one change of orientation, that would be fantastic. We have resources at the 10th Amendment Center that can help you find out what's going on at your state level. If you go to 10thamendmentcenter.com and then uh, on the top bar, there's there's like reading and you'll see the 10th blog. If you go to that blog, you will see all of the various bills that we've been tracking and, and working as they go through the legislatures. Uh, you can actually go to the search bar and just put in your state, just put in Michigan, and you'll see the different bills that have been introduced that are working their way through Michigan or wherever your state is. So that's an easy way to kind of just figure out, hey, what what issues are going on in my state? Um, so that's really, you know, that's the first thing. Educate yourself. Share with other folks what's going on at the 10th Amendment Center. Now, of course, we would love to take your money. Um, not take your money because I think we give value back, but we do have a membership program, which you can also check out at 10th amendmentcenter.com and 10th is all spelled out. And, you know, we have memberships for as little as like $2 a month. Um, so our, our strategy, the way we've kind of built our support is, you know, we don't have any multi-million dollar donors. We don't have any corporate money coming in. You know, there's no people. Are, oh, you, you must be getting that Koch brother money. no. And, then, and incidentally, there's only one left that one of them died. <laughs> we, we don't have that. You know, we don't have the $8 million a year budget that the Heritage Foundation has. We, we have um, barely a six-figure budget, if that. But we have built this on a lot of people who believe in what we're doing, becoming members for as little as $2 a month. So if you're interested in doing that, that that would be great. We would certainly definitely appreciate that support. But I think it's more important for your liberty to find a way to get involved um, at, at your state and local level. Like I said, find out who those state and local reps are. If you've got if you've got a garbage state representative, then spend a little time campaigning against them to get them out. Find somebody who's good. Maybe you should run for state rep. You know, uh, because, again, you have much more power 
in, in, in that you can, a small number of people can make a big change in a, in a state representative's district or in a city council race. So really just want to encourage people to kind of change that orientation of thinking away from we've got to fix far away DC. Well, let's, let's focus on uh, Austin or Tallahassee or Sacramento or, you know, whatever, whatever your state capital is. And then, you know, beyond that, your county commission, your board of education, all of those things, there are things going on there that you can impact that will advance that liberty, as Jefferson said, by inches. And every inch that we win back is a little bit more liberty that we have today. So that's really my spiel on what I would hope people would would get out of this conversation. I love that. And I appreciate that. And I agree with it completely. You know, it's, this is not you know, the erosion of our rights and our freedoms are not, uh, I mean, they're more important, the erosion to do something, to take action other than throw money at it. You know, these are so important. Just throwing money at the problem is not the solution. We all do need to be more active. However, that is, I agree with you. You should run. You should know who they are, engage with them, encourage them, right? Be an example of what to do and then um, share with others. Yeah. And then I like I like to be that guy when my, my city council member sees the number pop up. He's like, oh, no. Yep. And I talked to Meharry again. <laughs> I mean, I, I went to the point when I was in Lexington. I actually uh, we, we moved to Florida about two years ago. But when I was in Lexington, we got I got involved in uh, some some issues relating to surveillance um, that was going on with the local police department. I actually ended up getting myself sued. Um and, and ended up in a three-year lawsuit with the with the city government. That was kind of fun. Um, so, you know, I'm not suggesting that you want to go out and get sued, but, <laughs> right. um, you know, <laughs> there, there are things that you can do to bring attention to things, and, and getting sued is one of them. So, <laughs> Perfect. Maybe there's some liberty-minded uh, attorneys available or listening or whatever that are um, – will be active or proactive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you greatly. I mean, I've had fun. Maybe you can come back and update us again in the future, Mike. Yeah. I mean, you're very informative. I, I went to your, uh, the 10th Amendment Center site, you know, just last week since we spoke a couple of weeks ago. And man, you have a plethora of videos on there. And I didn't even realize Yeah, you know, I should go there more often. I mean, you have the Meharry Minute and it's yep. like, you're you're busy. You're you're doing it. So yeah, indeed, we we put out a lot of content. That's that's one of our strategies. The more stuff that's out there, the more eyes it gets on. And and Michael Bolden is really really good at working in social media. And of course, he has his uh, he has his podcast that he does that's uh, available on on a whole bunch of different platforms uh, where he does uh, you know talks about these various issues, gets into some of the historical stuff. That's that's been all kinds of resources. If you're a video person, there's videos. If you're a reader there's things to read uh we've got our state of the nullification movement report if you want a quick overview of what i'm talking about how this whole nullification thing works uh, you can download that for free as a pdf uh, we're actually working on uh the uh, 2021 edition now it'll be out in a couple of months uh, so there's all kinds of resources pretty much all of it is is free uh because we want people to have this education so yeah avail yourself of it and share it around all right. Good job. All right. Thank you, Mike. Have a good rest of your day. I appreciate you. I will. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Take care. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. 
If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.